Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi guys, and welcome back to a special episode of Beverly Hells Angels. Today with me is friend of the pod, intuitive, Jamie Stein. Hi. Hi, Lara. <laughs> I'm like, I think I'm having like PTSD slash trauma at this point from Beverly Hills. Like it's taken such a turn. It's basically like true crime it's a true crime comedy. It's reminding me of like Search Party season one. It has every element that I care about in a TV show, but it's also like instead of being fictional, it's real so, and has real consequences for like victims and an actual person on the show that could potentially like her life could be destroyed and basically is destroyed. So I'm just like reeling. It's a lot, especially because, and I'm sure we'll get into all of this, but my own perception of this is that Erica truly is getting lost in her own hall of mirrors. And she's someone who's so used to performing and is performing at all times and in different ways that it almost feels like the show is becoming just this larger than life representation of her own fictions that she's lost in. But then as a viewer, I feel like I'm kind of getting lost in it with her. I don't know what's up, what's down, what has kernels of truth, what's an outright lie. And I feel like with her, I'm watching someone whose grip on reality might be a bit tenuous. <laughs> and it's sort of like she's taking us all there with her. So it's a mm -hmm. lot. I'm finding it a lot to really sit with and to sit through and to navigate. Yeah, there's like you can peel back not to like borrow from White Lotus this analogy, but you peel back various like layers of the onion. I don't think we'll ever really truly reach the core. I think that's like beyond our grasp. But like each layer is something new and horrific if true 
and really the person that is going to have to pick up the pieces of all of this, regardless of how it shakes out, is Erica Jane. (laughs) And I don't even know at this point if she is capable of peeling back all the layers to get to the true core. I really question her own connection to her true self and what quote-unquote reality even means anymore and again I'm sure we'll get into this as we go along but I just my experience of her and all this she just seems so lost to me I, I it's like I feel like I don't know where the performance ends and begins and I feel like she doesn't know where the performance ends and begins and it's funny because I was thinking about how she's always in the past referring to Erica Jane as performance art which to me always made my eyes roll a bit because it just didn't seem like very good performance art to me. It felt like performance art was maybe a term that was um, a little bit lofty for what she was actually doing. But I feel like now, unwittingly, we are we are truly lost in this performance art piece with her. But it's she doesn't even realize she's performing performance art. But we are literally watching her play a version or versions of herself on a reality show where she's supposed to be living her truth. It's just, it truly does feel like one of those kaleidoscopes where I don't know what I'm even looking at anymore. Yeah. Like even as you're talking, certain things make sense, but then I end like with my brain feeling scrambled. Like that's what this has done. And that's like, nothing makes sense probably somewhat similar to how much she must be feeling in all of this because you would think I understand I get the eye roll about performance art but it is like being a pop star is like fashioning a persona and putting that persona forward and like I think her attempt at it is like you can pay gobs of money to like get all the people to pull off the pop star but like are we really buying it or do we think that you really feel this way? And I think that that line has been blurred along the, along the way. And it seems like the public and the media is all too happy to be like, well, she wrote a song called like expensive and is talking about how she loves all these things. And like, this is who she is. And so it's like, are you really that good of a perform? Are you like the best performance artist or are you the worst performance artist? Like it's very, it's all, I guess, very subjective at the end of the day. But I feel like the possibility of her being the best performance artist has only come into play now. Mm-hmm. So when I say I was rolling my eyes, you know, I was just rolling my eyes because Erica Jane to me just felt so banal as a piece of performance art to me. It just felt like, okay, you're creating this persona to claim your wildness and to claim your sexuality. But to me, it was just the most cliche, obvious version of that and totally sexless, totally lacking in real sensuality. It was just her and these costumes patting the puss. It just felt like such a caricature and such a kind of two-dimensional version of let me explore these different parts of myself. I mean, to your point, it was also just so shallow. It's like, okay, you're channeling your inner vixen and wildness and the song is It's Expensive to Be Me. It just felt like such a celebration of things that didn't really have any depth. But now that all of this is playing out in the way that it is, there are these layers that are emerging again between, yeah, who are you really? What's fact? What's fiction? What can be wielded against you? 
who is the real Erica. I mean, that's what's crazy about this, Lara, is like, Erica Jane as a performance art piece kind of did come from that question of who is the real Erica. Now, Mm -hmm. Erica at that time was pretending as if she was answering that question when I don't think she ever really was. I think she was continually using Erica Jane and Erica Girardi as vehicles to keep hiding. But now life is imitating art because everyone is genuinely asking the question, who is the real Erica? And that's where this becomes like an unwittingly brilliant performance art piece. Mm-hmm. Because we, it's been like obscured the entire time and no one can answer that question. Not even the person that is putting on the performance. Exactly. And it's being forced into the spotlight in this sensationalistic tabloid way. And, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about that I just mentioned on my own podcast recently is just the insanity of the fact that this woman, before all this went down, she was starring as Roxy Hart in Chicago, which is literally a role of a woman who is navigating, you know, being a criminal, going to jail, and then how to like spin it for the sake of her fame and how to stay famous and how to use the media to construct a persona. Like this was literally the play that she was in. Right before all this went down, not to mention the fact she was in a play called Chicago, which to me, it's just so crazy that that lawsuit on behalf of Lion (laughs) Air was filed in Chicago. It's crazy. Like the way that her life is imitating art is it's to me, it's beyond synchronistic and coincidental. And so to me, it actually does sort of seem like information around Erica, you're not totally wrong about being this performance artist who wants to explore identity and persona and fact and fiction, but I do think right now she's not in control of, I don't think she's wielding all this consciously and intentionally. I think it's running her rather than her running it, but as a viewer, that's part of what also makes this so unbelievably fascinating, but also exhausting at the same time. Yeah, because it's like tearing this composed woman that like won't offer a shred of vulnerability apart and no one and everyone processes that in their own way and then you get the pleasure of seeing each of the other housewives how they react to it which I guess is a great segue into like the first scene of this episode where everyone is sitting around at Kyle's La Quinta house on like a huge couch and Erica is sobbing and I think that I mean the tears are real like that is she's in like legitimate real pain I don't think I think she slips she begins on like let me tell you a sad tale like Citizen Kane Rosebud monologue and but then beneath that is like this chasm of sadness and we're now in like the river sticks of sadness with her And each of the housewives, like, I was most, like, interested in Crystal because she seemed, like, she's completely empathizing with Erica and, like, it's affecting her in a 
very real way where she's like crying and I think she's kind of also I'm picking up on her being traumatized by this whole situation like imagine coming in like signing on to be a housewife of Beverly Hills it's your first season you know what the show is like nothing ever really huge happens it's like you know Lucy juicy it's <laughs> Lucy goosey apple juicy like drama and like you're gonna just enter the fold and then suddenly this whole thing goes down and it just must be a much wilder roller coaster than she ever imagined she was signing up for. Well, not to mention also they're doing this in the middle of COVID, right? So mm -hmm. already we're in this surreal landscape, right? And the season is kind of much like New York. It's mostly just the women gathering in empty homes or, you know, in, in you know, in homes and empty restaurants kind of sitting amongst themselves talking. And yeah. And then it's this kind of, um, centerpiece for this unreal larger than life drama that's unfolding with Erica, where to my experience, it seems like she's mentally unraveling. Yeah. I think she's like completely losing it, especially in this moment. And like in the, in light of like, I mean, I think she lashed out at Garcelle. That was like just a, wild inappropriate like way to kind of handle her emotions and obviously like I don't think Garcelle did anything wrong like it's very understandable like where the snafu was like if she didn't hear I believe Garcelle like if she didn't hear Erica explicitly say like I don't want to talk about this like how would she know not to talk about it and I think that there's also an element of like production is telling her like keep asking these questions it's great like you're doing great sweetie but then I think she's also sensitive to a person if someone's like explicitly like her cast her castmate is like please don't like say this thing anymore I don't think that she would like press beyond that I think it's like an honest mistake and I don't see I don't feel like her intentions were like to harm Erica Jane or like throw her under the bus no, I don't think so either. I mean, did you hear like what's come out about all of that in the last weeks? Kind of. Can you like tell me? Because I kind of followed it, but then I wasn't super clear on it. Like, didn't Rinna say that um, there was a huge fight between Erica and the producers? Yeah, my understanding of it and... Someone can correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm also not like super, you know, in the weeds with all the goss. But um, my understanding is that, yeah, Crystal and Erica kind of had that off camera conversation where Erica was saying, I don't want to talk about this, like in front of the girls. Although, I mean, I feel like we could go down the rabbit hole of why she even was so protective of that information. And if she was so protective of that information, why was she talking about it while she was miked? But we'll just leave that over there for a moment. But and apparently... Why, was she talk why did she film a scene telling these girls? Like, it's not like... It's all very strange. And I kind of was... On my second watch of the episode, I was like very much with Sutton where she's like this isn't about Garcelle. Like this is about Erica's problems. And why is she trying to like redirect the focus to like, how dare you ask these questions when also she's been the whole weekend has been like Erica's weekend to like 
talk about her problems. Like ever, she's t- constantly talking about this. It's she's not giving off a vibe that like certain questions are off limits. Like she, her vibe has been like, well, ladies, like let me tell you my sad tale. Like so, it's very strange that all of a sudden she just like puts her foot down and then flips out. Yeah, I mean, I think the difference is she was in control of the narrative at that point. So clearly she came in with some agenda around the La Quinta. It's La Quinta. That's how you say it, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, the La Quinta house. I mean, she, you know, all of it, you know, the crazy story about Tom tumbling out of the car. Clearly she was picking and choosing her narratives. And it seemed to me like this one piece of information about Tom calling her for whatever reason, since it was off camera but i guess on mic which again that's just strange to me given that this is not her first rodeo like she knows how this goes but let's just go with it for a second um almost like she was giving herself that grace or that room to breathe or that surrender to say yeah these are my girlfriends they do care about me i'm gonna kind of relax for a moment and share something that maybe I wouldn't normally otherwise share. That was kind of my vibe off it. Again, I don't know why that particular piece of information is so protected. I have a few theories or ideas, but then she says to Crystal again, kind of off camera, like I don't want this talked about. And apparently production, I guess did talk to Garcelle and say, ask her more about that so garcelle was essentially doing productions bidding and so it seemed like yeah erica was then reacting to feeling set up by production feeling set up by garcelle again for me energetically it just feels a little bit like i let my guard down for one second and like once again something's being turned against me and apparently like when she was behind that door when she stormed off and you know kind of very I mean, it's hard because it does feel like there's emotional truth to it, but it also feels performative to me at the same time. You know, she's taking the staggered, deep, dramatic breaths and, you know, saying, I'm just trying to be as honest as I can. Apparently that was taken from her getting into an argument with producers and like yelling at the producers about setting her up. Mm -hmm. To me, the whole situation kind of felt a little bit like... Um, I almost want to say like a warning to production. You're going to fuck with me. I'm going to make your job really hard. Like this is the price that you pay. Like I'm not, I'm not taking this lying down. Don't think you can set me up. Like don't try to don't like, as I say this, what comes through me is like, don't you try to set me up too. like, I'm trying to just hold this all together. Like, don't you turn on me? Don't you set me up? But again, how conscious is she of any of this? I don't think very conscious at all i think she believes she's having a real emotional reaction yeah i i agree with that where do you stand on rinna after this episode cuz i she i've never really understood like i know a lot of people have like turned on her or like former fans and i think i mean it's like people that i talk to about bravo are like i don't like rinna like i don't trust her like blah 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 and i haven't super seen that until really this episode when i was like oh like i don't trust this woman and her intentions at all yeah no i'm right there with you this felt like the darkest she's ever gotten i mean i wouldn't call myself a rena fan she's certainly you know i tend to see through her and see her machinations for me the way i experience her is like she's keeping the wheels of the show going 
in some ways it never felt too personal whereas this just felt there was a quality to this that felt nasty and it felt specifically mean towards Garcelle and I think also the way that she was using Erica's breakdown she was weaponizing it there was something mm-hmm. about that that felt really dark and low to me and then I think also because Garcelle was so clearly impacted by Erica's reaction to kind of keep going in there it just felt it felt down and it felt dirty and um there was one last thing I was going to say about it oh also just the sheer kind of hypocrisy in the moment of Lisa's point basically was kind of choose your moments wisely and if you feel like it's it's becoming too much or you're going too far pull back and yet Lisa Rinna literally was doing the same thing to Garcelle in that moment where she just kept going in there like it wasn't enough to make she made her first initial bitchy comment which was like I'm so sorry that had to happen. She saw Garcelle get up and almost leave. Kathy had to bring Garcelle back. And so it's just like, Lisa, if you're going to practice what you preach, wouldn't this be the moment that you now back off because you see something's happening for Garcelle? Mm -hmm. And I just wonder, like, even the way she positions herself, like, next to Eric, like, she's right next to Erica, who's, like, the focal point of just, like, the camera lens and, like, her inability to, like, wrap her head around the miscommunication that happened or like why Garcelle would have asked that question. Like, I'm like, are you simply like, do you really have a problem with Garcelle? Are you just jockeying for screen time? Like, do you know, like the clock is ticking on like you getting replaced? Are you just like doing whatever it takes to get to stir up drama or tension and like be on camera in a certain way? Like, is it a mixture of the two? To me, it just felt like all of the above. I mean, I feel like what I've been feeling off Rena this season, you know, she's, she, look, she's savvy and she's always got her finger on the pulse of fan reaction. And I've seen her do this before where she'll have a season where she'll go after someone, then the fans hate her. And then the next season, she's chill. You know, she, she mm-hmm. dials it back. She knows when to dial it back. And I feel like this has been a season where she's chosen to dial it back because she got a lot of flack for what happened with Denise. And I think part of her dialing it back has been her unconditional and unwavering support of Erica. The subtext, I feel, not just for her, but also for Kyle, too, in this is kind of like, no, see, we are good, loyal friends. No, see, we, we do stick by people in times of trouble. Like, I feel that from them. Like, they, they want to prove to people, like, no, we don't throw people under the bus. See, like, we actually are great friends to people. So I think there's that element of it where... Rena is using Erica as kind of a vehicle of sort of showing who she can actually be. But then it does also feel like there's this, it, to me, it felt like there was something pointed and nasty specifically towards Garcelle, kind of like, oh, you fucked with me. You're calling something out. Well, guess what? This is kind of the price that you pay. Like I'm going, yeah. I'm cutting you. It's retribution for like when it cut even to all of Garcelle's, moments where I think every point that she brought up to Rinna was like perfectly valid. Like when she was talking about her daughter's eating disorder I was, and like her dancing on camera, I was like, 
I would also like to know like how she reconciles that or like what she thinks of that. Like I appreciate Garcelle just being like very blunt about that kind of thing. And I think Rinna fancies herself as being like blunt or like, we'll say anything, but it's in, it's not the same way that Garcelle is where it's like, she's like, she's just asking the right questions. Yeah, it was interesting to me because when the scene initially started playing out, I was just 100% against Rinna. Then she brought up the fact that Garcelle, you know, I think she calls that takes these little jabs. Now, the examples they aired, I like you, to me, those didn't seem like big deals. But I did start thinking about other things we've seen on the show with Garcelle. For example, asking Sutton, where did your money come from in a really blunt way? Um also, like early, earlier in the season when she uh, said, uh, shouldn't she wait, you know, about Erica? <laughs> and which I want to say as a viewer, I love all that stuff. I'm like, oh, this is great TV. She's getting in there. She's saying the thing. I will say when those got brought up in the scene, I did have a moment of stopping and kind of thinking, you know what? Actually, if I put myself in the position of like actually being opposite Garcelle on a person to person level, I could kind of see some of these direct questions or statements kind of like coming in in a certain way and be like, wait, wait a second. What's going on here? That said, do I think that there's some sort of like nefarious intention underneath it? No, you know, and in fact, I kind of did a little kind of intuitive feeling around into Garcelle, you know, kind of around like, for example, when she asks Sutton, where's your money come from? And the vibe I kind of got off it from afar was actually like, um, as Garcelle, it's like, I, 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 I want answers. Like it, it almost kind of like, I don't feel safe when things feel vague or mm-hmm. unformed or ill-defined. I like to know what's going on. I like to have the details. Like it almost like there's something about that that makes me feel grounded and safe. Um, so even though there was a tiny bit of grace, I was maybe willing to give Rina of like, yeah, there is this, it is true. There is this thing that Garcelle sometimes does. It still felt like Lisa was using it in a way that was untrue. And sort of served an agenda rather than actually, um, you know, kind of confronting or calling something out for the sake of the highest good. I agree. Like, totally. Like, it seems, I think Garcelle is, asks questions out of curiosity. Yeah. And Rinna asks questions out of, like, hoping to gain something or to embarrass someone or to, like, catch them. To like catch them like she doesn't she's not curious about like Denise she asks questions that she already knows the answers to yeah. and Garcelle doesn't know the answers to the questions she's asking yeah it's like Lisa asks questions to move the show along you know mm-hmm. and I think for Lisa it's like as I say that I feel this place in her that's kind of like yeah I think she resents how much flack she gets for it it's kind of like I'm doing the work, I'm creating the show, I'm doing this thing, and then I get, like, punished and pummeled for it, which for me, again, I mean, I think, as you know, I'm always sort of looking, I I always look at things in terms of metaphor and energetic pattern, so I have to imagine that's some sort of pattern she has a relationship with of kind of like, hey, I'm doing this thing, don't, like, make me the bad guy for it, you know, I'm just, I'm just trying to move things along, I'm trying to survive, you know, this is what I gotta do, don't, yeah, don't beat the shit out of me for it. I think there's some part of her that gets enraged that she remains on the hook 
for like being a little bit, you know, underhanded and, and moving the wheels of the show along and other in her mind, other people don't pay the same price. That's interesting because I feel like in her career and I'm not like totally uh, well, like well versed in her career. Like I know the broad strokes, but what I've gleaned is like she's a hustler. Like she has worked for years. I think when she met Harry Hamlin, he was in a real dry spell. Like he went through a period of time where he was not working. And like, I think it was like pre Mad Men, like he was in just career limbo. And so I feel like she probably carried their expenses and like carried a lot of financial stuff and is like kind of, and running the show in some ways. But then also that comes at a cost. And I feel like, her relationship with her daughters is really interesting. Like I, I was talking to someone yesterday that was like, just like point blank. Like Lisa is a bad mom. Like she's like, not like, and I feel like that somehow ties into like what you were picking up on, which is like, she's doing all the things to make sure everyone's taken care of. But like, there's some extra steps that she can't go through. And like her daughters have issues and like, she's the one that ends up on the hook for it. But it's like, she like anyone else has her limitations maybe that's a total reach but like that's just what I was kind of thinking when you were talking no no I totally agree I think you know my sense of Lisa has always been it's killer be killed you know like within the Mm -hmm. context of the show but again I I just have to imagine if she has an attitude of it's killer be killed in the show she has an attitude of it's killer be killed in in my life that's why I was saying like it feels to me like she's kind of always fighting in a way for survival. It's like the hustle is it's all she knows how to do because there's something in her. That's like, if I don't hustle and if I don't get this done, it's like, it's either it's them or it's you it's kill or it's be killed. And so in that place as Rinna, I can kind of understand the sense of like, yeah, I'm just doing what needs to get done. This is what I learned I had to do. So why are you turning it against me now? Kind of like rage regret, you know? Um, Mm. I think what's so interesting in terms of her daughters, it's like, I remember earlier in the season when she just kept going up to crystal to kind of say like, Oh, what you're doing is so important in terms of bringing out the eating disorder and then kind of comparing it to what I think Amelia, it's Amelia, right? Amelia was Mm -hmm. going through. And yeah, it just, to me, it just felt so kind of clearly and obviously like, Oh, it's like, you're trying to kind of it feels like you're trying to avail yourself of guilt. Like speaking to your point, like, oh no, I'm not a bad mom. Like, see, Amelia is like getting through it. She's a role model for people. This is such a good thing. It's it's like if I can convince myself and others that Amelia is this sort of strong beacon of hope and light for others and she's come through the other side, I don't have to really take responsibility for whatever, you know, unintentionally or not, my role was in her... Uh, you know her 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 disordered eating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I see that for sure. Um, Rina finally Erica leaves, and that she's back in like dramatic like dramatic exit, having to like you know sweep out the door and call her car and like don't and even when garcelle was apologizing she's like it's fine it's okay like it's like you're not communicating with a present person anymore it's like back 
retreating into the act like it's no longer it's not a conversation it's also not fine clearly it's not fine like if you apologize to someone and they're like no it's okay it's okay like it's not okay <laughs> it probably won't be okay for a, a little while and just her dramatic exit to that and then seeing like it's just such a juxtaposition of seeing this person that's like truly their life has crumbled around them. They're in a lot of trouble and you would think that they would have just the foresight or good sense to be like, I'm going to call like an Uber X or like, I like, I'm not going to be displaying signs of wealth on camera anymore. And then to have like a driver and like a Lincoln navigator pull up that's like wearing a suit. I'm just like, this is not adding up to me. Like, what's going on? I mean, none of it adds up. I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's like, even if we just take this off-camera conversation about Tom calling her, which, by the way, like, no, this is why I start to feel like I'm getting lost in the hollow mirrors. No one on the show is acknowledging when she first left him, her story was about it, you know, basically being a bad marriage and that he was controlling her and essentially abusing her. And I, when I say story, I actually do believe, you know, a lot of that's true. But yeah. she was saying this is the reason why, by the way, I dropped him off, left, kind of almost sleeping with the enemy style. You know, he, I haven't, she said at one point, he won't talk to me. I haven't heard from him. This is what Tom does. He's going to turn into Mr. Aggressive Lawyer. I've got to be scared for myself. Now, since then, it's becoming his dementia, which I guess was triggered by his tumble out of his car. And mm -hmm. now she's saying he calls her every day, leaving her voicemail saying, I'm sorry, honey, come back. Like, everything's going to be okay. And she's positioning it as kind of like, you know, he's he's not of sound mind. He needs to turn in his... I mean, she said that. He needs to turn in his, his whatever it's called, card. his lawyer's yeah. card. And it's like, wait, just, just that right there. The story has changed so profoundly and fundamentally. And then it's like, so what is the big deal about people knowing that he's called? Is it the fact that this is a contradiction in what you were saying before and you don't want people knowing? Is it just simply kind of what you're saying that the, the lawyers have advised you that you're not supposed to be in communication with them so you don't want this information out? Part of me was also wondering, is this actually about still like there's a part of her that seeks to protect him and doesn't want it out there that he's in this vulnerable state where he's sort of calling her every day? It's just we don't know what's actually happening here. And then I feel like kind of to your point, the women aren't even challenging her to get clear. It's just like they kind of, the second the waterworks come on, they react and they collude with her and they're just like, they're there, Erica. And unless it's happening off camera, no one's saying, wait, can you explain to us what's the big deal? And so as a viewer, I'm just left. I mean, I know you, you were talking about like, what is she thinking in terms of the signs of wealth? But I'm just, I'm sitting here like, what is she thinking in terms of anything? I just don't, there's no, it, it, there's no there there. I don't understand what's holding this all together. Yeah. And there's no consistency. The only consistency is how inconsistent she is. And that's why we need the play. Like, that's why I'm appreciative the most 
of Sutton, Garcelle, and Crystal because I think that they have like a very it's like a great trifecta approach to what Erica is saying. Like Garcelle wants answers and just wants she's curious. Crystal's traumatized by the whole thing <laughs> and triggered and sad. And then Sutton is like, I don't think so. I call bullshit. I don't trust a word this person says. And I have no problem like saying that to this group of people. And those, the, those feel like authentic reactions. And then the other ones, the newbies and like how you find the, this cast kind of divided over this like Erica Jane scandal is like, they are more calculated and political about what they're comfortable saying on camera, how they're really going to express themselves and how they truly feel about this. Cause it is more, it's just a more complicated relationship. Well, I also think there's another division within that division. What? Or there's what's a, that? there's a, there's a, what's the word? There's a secret division, which is, you know, I, I mean, look, we don't know. But I'm just going to say, if you if you had to ask me, which are the cast members who have their, I'm not saying embezzlement, widows and orphans, but who have their own relation, their families have their own relationship to murky, perhaps not totally honest financial dealings. You know, I'm going to say <laughs> oh, Doreen true. PK. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say Mauricio. You know, I'm good. I mean, Lisa Rinna, I-, I haven't necessarily gotten anything underhanded off her per se, but she's certainly in the political camp, as you're saying. And the ones who, to me, seem kind of like above board, the wealth they have is the wealth they have. It's Garcelle, it's Crystal, it's Sutton. And I just Mm -hmm. think that that's really interesting. I know. And then you have Kathy just kind of hovering, who's, (laughs) I just appreciate her response is like, I don't know her. Like, (laughs) truly Mm -hmm. just like, count me out of it. Like, I'll be over here trying to figure out where we should Postmates from. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) She's Switzerland. Oh my God, Carrie. What? Did you hear what I'm doing this fall? No. I'm taking Sexy Unique Podcast on tour. Wait a minute. I'm doing that too. I know. We're going on tour. We're going on fucking tour. Tickets are going fast. In fact, one of the Chicago shows sold the fuck out. You're kidding me. Well, we added a second. Oh, thank God. Head to LarsMarie.com to purchase tickets. That's L-A-R-Z-M-A-R-I-E.com to get yours now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. I have breaking news for all the men out there who are looking for a little cup support. Finally, Me Undies is unveiling their latest gifts to help men feel big the contoured pouch and ball caddy. This micromodal sling keeps things separated and lifted. Nine out of 10 women swear this sophisticated brief technology will make you look huge. And that's all that matters, right? 
I personally have not tried the contoured pouch and ball caddy, but I do have a pair of high-cut, high-waisted MeUndies, and I'm obsessed with the material. I love to sleep in full-coverage underwear, and these are so soft. They're comfortable. They're also flattering. They don't cut in weird to my hips or waist, and I'm positive that based on my experience with MeUndies, the men who decide to go down a contoured pouch and ball caddy road are also going to be singing MeUndies praises. From all black classics to fun, expressive prints, MeUndies has a look for everyone. Plus, they come in sizes XS to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. MeUndies isn't just about underwear. Explore the lounge collection featuring joggers, hoodies, onesies, and more. MeUndies' signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's breathable, stretchy, and oh-so-comfy, making it ideal for all-day wear. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Not happy with your first pair of undies? It's on me undies. Good things come in big packages at MeUndies. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash sexy. That's MeUndies.com slash sexy for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies, comfort from the outside in. Sibling fights are unavoidable, but what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother, Princess Diana. But that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wondery's podcast, Disintel, is hosted by comedians Sydney Battle and Matt Belisai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Disintel on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever experienced a dry, itchy scalp or ever wondered why your color isn't lasting as long as your hairdresser promised? Unfiltered, mineral-filled water could be the reason why. Did you know that hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin? And that about 85% of the United States uses hard water filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine? That is where Canopy's new filtered showerhead comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered showerhead. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered showerhead is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement, unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code SEXYUNIQUE at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry! Your hair and skin will thank you. Everyone regroups and Rinna keeps going after Garcelle being like, I'm just so sad that this happened. And why did you feel like you had to ask that question in that moment? And I was, I'm just like, you're so rude for this and like underhanded now is not the time. And also the situation is not that unclear. Like there's no need for this to be like arbitrated any further. It's been explained now like two or three times 
the only yeah. reason that you would be saying this like is to just like further needle Garcelle. Yeah, I mean, she just felt like a dog with a bone. You know, to me, it really did feel like an expression of her rage towards Garcelle. Because I think also, you know, Rena did try to do her Rena thing at the start of the season with Garcelle, which was to kind of like, let's, you know, dust our hands and be clean of last year. And Garcelle was kind of, you know, what's interesting is that I'm saying this, there's a new flavor that's coming through. It's like, because Garcelle was basically saying... No, like, I'm not just going to wash my hands of this. Like, we've got to sort of deal with the aftermath and the impact. And I suddenly just got this flash for Rinna as a possibility of, like, in the place where they all know about fan reaction, kind of like almost this resentment. I'm not saying this is necessarily what Garcelle was doing, but I can kind of imagine as Rinna kind of feeling like, oh, you're, you're reading the room. You know, you're kind of riding with fan reaction. You're holding my feet to the fire. It's kind of like how she, you know, you could tell she was so inflamed and incensed over what, you know, how Lisa Vanderpump had her over a barrel. Oh, I don't know if you saw that season, but she had her over the barrel over the Munchausen thing. And I think when when someone beats Rinna at her own game, I just think there's something that's infuriating about that to her. And so, yeah, something's just coming in here around like the source of the rage against Garcelle of like, yeah, you held my feet to the fire. You were beating me at my own game. <laughs> here we go. Like I'm cutting you. Mm-hmm. Ugh, she'll it's, lay it's... and wait until the perfect moment and then she'll strike like a cobra or something. I really wish the other women had said more in that moment. Like I wish they had kind of come in and been like, Rinna. Take it down. I know. It's very strange that none of them, like Kyle's never been so quiet as she was like in this episode. Like she really did not say much, which is interesting that this would be the time. Like when all this news comes out about like the victims of the crimes that Tom committed and just like where the wealth came from and how it operated and how it worked. I think Kyle does and is like shaking her boots a little bit of yeah. like, it's like at just how quickly something can comp- become like totally unraveled. Yeah. It's almost like the subtextual question I hear in the collective group is just like, how do we play this? Like, how do mm-hmm. I play this? Like, how do I navigate this? Because it's true. There's just so much at play now in terms of the politics of the show, what they went through last season with everyone hating them for how they treated Denise, then also just their own relationship to money and finances and what could be found out. It's like they're all kind of teetering on this tight wire and they don't know how this is going to play out. So it's like they just feel frozen to me. It's like, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Also, it's just like very poetic that this is the biggest scandal to ever have like landed in their laps like during filming or it's like this is the most intense thing they've ever had to deal with on the show. I can't think of anything. I mean, I didn't watch the Munchausen season, but I want to go back and like watch it just because like I actually I've said it before, like I like the really mundane drama that they like litigate over and over. But even like thinking about last season, it was like, whoa, they were mad that like Denise Richards said, like, don't talk about sex in front of my kids. And like that ended up being like the crux of the like drama and tension for an entire season. So it's like all of 
the past seasons have been child's play in comparison to like, all right, like we'll give you something to really like wrap your heads around ladies. And yeah, I don't think they have any idea like how to (laughs) even approach it. And it's incredible. They've gotten sucked into Erica Jane's performance art piece and they didn't Mm -hmm. even know it. They're now participants. Oh, they're in. J Global. <laughs> oh, they are, yeah, they they are they are deep in it. They're employees and, and it's just, of EJ Global. <laughs> exactly. I feel like we all are. I feel like EJ mm-hmm. Global is taking over the world as we speak. And like when we all die, we're just going to realize we were all just sort of holograms. And the e- like EJ Global is the overlord of us all, and we're all just it's holograms. The Matrix was invented and is like overseen <laughs> by EJ Global. And maybe what's happening now with like COVID and everything, it's like (laughs) the fabric's cracking open and we're just starting to get a glimpse of like what's actually behind the curtain. And it is EJ Global. Mm -hmm. Um, Everyone like departs and then like arrives for dinner in various like fashionable outfits. Dorit has, I think she's retreating She's, like, retreated to another place entirely, like, mentally and emotionally, like, is now living in a different world. And, like, even I would say a different dimension than the other ladies are. Like, based on her outfit, like, her Gucci look, which I, I mean, I love it, but I'm also just, like, how, why is this happening? And then, like the soliloquy she goes on at dinner about like about like her views on race i was just like oh my god i can't believe these words are coming out of this woman's mouth right now and then it was like the icing and cherry on top were her just like facetiming pk and then, like, George Michael popping in to be like, don't worry, darling. Like, it's okay. <laughs> and then her being like, thank you. And then it's just like she is no longer with us, I think. Like, she's ascended to a different mental realm. <laughs> and I kind of love that because she's, it's like she's no longer, like, grounded in any sort of reality. I don't know if it's a coping mechanism or if it's just, like, a real... Like, this is just, like, who she is. It's fascinating. I mean, I was going to say, one of the byproducts of us all being trapped in Erica Jane's performance art piece is that, like, I started to experience this episode all the uh, the ways in which all the other women are performers. So, it's like, Erica leaves, right? And then... There was, I couldn't, I didn't understand what was going on. There was some business that Kyle was doing with the ice machine on the refrigerator and it involved her like hobbling on one leg and ice cubes were flying and her hair was flying and she was guffawing. And I just looked at it and I was like, Kyle's performing right now. Like she's putting on a performance for the camera. Then suddenly Dorit saunters out in that outfit. And you know, it's like, it's true. This is what Dorit's done. For seasons now, and in the past, I've loved it. It's been fun. Oh, that's Dorit. There was something about, again, I think in the context of everything we're watching, and then perhaps because we are just in Kyle's La Quinta house, there's no glam squad. It's like the world is quiet and empty because of COVID. And here comes Dorit in just, not just like overdressed, but in a spectacle, completely out of place 
outfit that just has no business being in this backyard dinner. And I just was like, Dorit's performing too. Like these women, they're all just performing. And maybe that's stating Mm -hmm. the obvious. I know that's nothing new, but there was a way I experienced it in this episode where it felt... I, I did. I felt like I was almost in an alien facsimile of the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, where everything was just so much more glaring and off-putting to me in a way. And heightened. Also, Sutton with her like Cartier bracelet, which has to be hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like, there's no doubt in my mind that that's like that could be like a three hundred thousand dollar bracelet. Like mm-hmm. easily and her coming and kind of parading that on top of everything else is like a sick power move but I also just love it and then you have Kathy who refuses to participate in any sort of glam <laughs> and is really I truly believe her main concern is like I want to order from Ruth Chris's steakhouse and how do I make these women like get on my level with this Postmates thing and I've never related to Kathy more than in that moment because that is like always me with a Postmate like a group Postmate situation it's like I get really fixated on like needing what I need and then it's willing people over to like <laughs> my Ruth's Chris fantasy. Yeah. Well, Kathy's always the one pulling the marionette string. Cause she's the one who also initiated the whole, just, I mean, the fact that we moved from the Erica Jane performance drama into a race conversation with these women. It was, I mean, this was a one, two punch, but that all came from Kathy. You know, mm-hmm. she was her, Her little hands were all over that again. I mean, once again, it seemed like maybe trying to rustle stuff up between the Sutton Crystal conflict because basically what didn't that start with her basically being like, well, Crystal, I hear Sutton made a comment about not seeing color. Yeah, she was like, it was like, let's play a game. (laughs) Let's play. It was Rinna being like, let's play a game, which is the first fresh off the heels too of another sit down with Garcelle just like for cocktails pre-dinner and then her being like again like so sorry that that happened like why did you say that is there anything you can own in this and then which was just so patronizing and also like who do you think you are in this moment like get over yourself and then after Garcelle goes like she goes through her whole thing and then ends with saying like yeah so I guess I overstepped and then Rina going okay that's good that's good (sighs) and as the and it's like no like fuck off seriously and then they all go into dinner oh go ahead yeah yeah just because again it comes back to almost the performance piece of it all I I I actually so typically I don't have live tv but I like got live tv so I could watch this last night and so I started watching Watch What Happens Live afterward because that's like a rare quote unquote treat for me. And same. Oh, okay. So you saw Rinna on on Watch I saw, What like, Happens Live. Like the Live. first half of her where she had like the sunglasses on and like I think her defenses were way up. Yeah, and so it's like she starts getting nailed, as Andy calls it, by Twitter, and he's sort of basically saying to her, like, you know, who are you to question Garcelle in this way when you've been doing the same thing, you know, to people throughout the history of the show? And it's like, again, it's 
here you are on the show, you know, very self-righteously, uh, kind of, y- you know, challenging Garcelle to own something and, and treating it very seriously. And like, this is an important issue. So then it sort of comes time to be your turn. And her response is like, oh, well, you know, I'm carrying the back on my show. You know, I'm carrying the show on my back. Someone else has got to do it. And she plays it off in this way where I'm just like, kind of like with Erica, nothing you're saying makes any sense. It's like in one moment, it's like this matter of, you know, it's this serious matter of like, we got to take inventory and take stock of what we're saying and da, 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 da. And then the next minute, she's just completely paying it off. And I, I don't know. It's like what I want to say about that is this is another moment where I feel like I'm, I am trapped in like a crazy hall of mirrors with these women where there, there is no consistency for any of them. And it feels mm-hmm. like they're all like, kind of like what you're saying with Dorit. She's just sort of lifted off into another world. Like there's no sort of like cohesive center to Lisa Rinna, like that she could just sit there and say, Oh, you know what? I'm saying other people need to own it. So maybe this is my moment to like, just go inward and take stock and kind of see like, what was it in me? You know, that's been asking questions all this time. It, I just feel like I, I truly am lost right now in the kaleidoscope and i'm looking for like whatever the exit out or the center room or like the oz behind the curtain and it doesn't exist yeah i'm just i'm looking for the next episode like i'm looking to get to the end of the season and like see where everything has like fallen and like then kind of be able to understand from like an overarching perspective like i'm looking for the next I'm looking for like the trial of Tom Girardi or like the trial of Erica Jane. Like I need closure and it's going to be a long time before any of us gets that. It is. So then Lisa is like, let's play a game, which is always like, it's always teeing you up for like something. And Kathy has that great line where she's like, We'll get to like the sad games in a little bit with like a <laughs> smile. And I just like that I'm appreciative of how Kathy is like beyond reproach this season. Like I, I think that pro- possibly if she's on for another season, that could change because eventually like everyone's number is up at some point. But I'm soaking in just her like queen bee status amongst this group of women. And she brings up the... I don't see color conversation by saying that when she grew up with Michael Jackson, (laughs) they had lots of conversations and he said that he doesn't see color and she said she doesn't see color either. And so she doesn't understand what the big deal is. And I was like, that's a wild way to enter this conversation because that in and of itself, like him saying that is like a whole thing that could be unpacked with like a whole, that's a whole other conversation than this like race conversation, but that also ties into it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, can we just stop for, I mean, I don't know. I haven't really been online much today, but I'm like, are people not going crazy over the fact that she opened this conversation by saying I was friends with Michael Jackson and this is what Michael Jackson said. I mean, Even just, yes, disregarding kind of the point you're bringing up about, you know, him specifically and who he kind of represents in the collective consciousness, let's just say. She, correct me if I'm wrong, is basically saying a name-dropping version of, well, I've got a black friend. 
And my black friend said he doesn't see color. So what's the problem with that? I mean, that in and of itself, I was just like, this is so... I just, it was so cringeworthy and I felt so much secondhand embarrassment and, and, um, yeah, I was just, I was like literally cringing in my seat. But then the fact that not only is she basically saying I had a black friend who said this, she at the same time is name dropping Michael Jackson. And then to your point, you know, Michael Jackson, look, I don't want to say too much, you know, obviously I'm a white guy. I don't want to speak to like, you know, a black man's relationship to his race, but I think we can all agree He's not exactly what you would maybe hold. Up. It's not. He's not what a lot of people would hold up as someone a proud you want to black point. Man, yeah, like yeah, I, yeah. I mean, not to mention other things as well. You know what I mean? There's a yeah, lot. Of... I'm taking any of like the child abuse or like sexual predator predator allegations out of the mix. Like I'm, okay. I'm putting those aside for the purposes of this conversation because they <laughs> don't have anything to do with it. But I'm honoring that they do exist, but we're not going to talk about that. I'm just talking about for anyone that has eyes and can see and is aware of Michael Jackson's own personal like transformation over the years, using him as the (laughs) example of like a person of color who doesn't see color is just like, like, Kathy, do you like, do you have an understanding of like the transformation that he underwent? Like I, it's it's I'm it's just like hello. <laughs> it, it was it was truly wild. I mean, I I I could not believe what I was hearing, and then the fact that everyone just kind of rolled with it, kind of like they just keep rolling with Erica. Like this is what I'm saying. This season is bizarre and surreal to me with the way in which insanity plays out before our eyes, and they are acting as if this is all normal. Yeah, and like, and then Kathy's comments like didn't even get me that bad because then Dorit comes in and just railroads over those with her own like relationship to race and people of color. And I was just like, do you just don't even understand? It's shocking to me, I guess, and like, I'm have a front row seat to like the culture wars and like the the like discussions about like race relations but it's like i feel like anyone that has not been living under a rock knows a not to say like there's as a white person knows not to be like i can't be racist like i have a black friend like you know that you don't say that and you know why it's inappropriate to say that and then you also would know like not to be like but i love like all the people that have worked for me and like cleaned my house and like <laughs> raised my children. And it's like, you should know not to say that. And why, like, it's like, how, like, what do you guys do all? Like, are you not, I guess there are just some people that don't have a clue. And I would think that people that are a part of pop culture in the way that the real housewives are part of pop culture would be tuned in to just the basic basic things that are not even like okay and not okay to say but like why like I would think that they would know what why that's not okay to say but then it shocks me that they kind of don't 
Yeah, this was a real reality check for me, this whole conversation, because kind of like you, and I guess this is my own naivete, like I just kind of had an assumption. It's, you know, yeah, we're in 2021, you know, there's this conversation that's been happening that has been at the forefront of like our national collective consciousness. These women are living for years, for years. Yeah, for years and in particular, like it really came to the forefront this year. I mean, to your point around like, I don't know where you have to be living at this point. You know what I mean? For it to not be front and center right in front of you. And they're also, they're living in LA. Like this is not, you know, and again, I don't know. Instagram, they're like on social media. I just don't understand how you can be a pop culture figure on social media that is like, and not have even just come across like an infographic on your Instagram explore page that's like just outline the basic things of like race relations. Like that's like bare minimum, just scratching the surface. Like you would just think that they've seen one thing and internalized it and been like, oh, maybe I won't say that anymore. And then like moved on with their lives. It's just like it's shot the ignorance. And I guess I am naive too, but I was just like, damn like I did not think that they were this ignorant or there were people on the show that were this ignorant it it truly was shocking especially because you know Dorit really was I mean you know basically (laughs) first saying well I was raised you know to sort of love everyone like basically saying I'm not racist there's no I mean basically her point in that conversation was how amazingly un-non-racist she is and then to then which in and of itself is just, I mean, you know, it doesn't even need to be explained. It's just, it's, yeah. it's, it's off the walls insane. And then to follow that up with her kids loving all the people of color who work for them with no trace of irony, no awareness. And when Garcelle very rightfully points it out, you saw how defensive Dorit got. Like, Dorit was not having it when Garcelle pointed that out. And I was like, here it is. I mean, here it is on a platter. Like, this is what's going on. And it's being served up right in front of us on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. It was, I I was really, because I, you know, I know you haven't really been watching New York that much. But for me, it's it's not completely surprising, you know, when a Ramona or a Luann or whomever. I mean, you know, it's like, I don't like it. It's cringeworthy. But it's, for some reason, it's like these are out of touch conservative Upper East Side women. Like, I, I kind of, it doesn't surprise me in some way. There was something about like Dorit oh, yeah. and Kathy. I guess I just gave them more of a benefit of a doubt where I just thought they'd be more clued in and keyed into what was going on. And just to see that level of obliviousness and the lack of self awareness, I just, I was, I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked. Yeah. I think it's also like in LA, you suspect, or I suspect that it's just, it's so much, it's billed as like so much more of like a progressive culture and lifestyle. And so you would think that that extends, I guess, to like the upper echelons of society. But then it really, I guess it stops after your bank account hits like a certain amount of money or like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Because I agree, like, on Roni, it's like, I've never, Ramona and Luann have always been the way they've been. Like, you always kind of know, like, these women have, like, racist tendencies. Like, they've said things before that are, like, racist and done things that are racist. And you, as a viewer, 
it's not like it's been hidden or they haven't I don't know am I saying that right it's like it's pretty much like it's very obvious like where they stand with stuff and you either accept that and like aren't or aren't shocked by it but I guess like on Beverly Hills I don't know I just like thought Kathy and Dorit would have like a more elevated relationship with their own internalized like racism and prejudice but although honestly I mean this is kind of helping me to see something because the truth is it really money doesn't even really have anything to do with it because you know I remember kind of earlier on in my own time in LA I remember having that assumption just in terms of like my own experience as someone who's not straight like I remember feeling specifically like, oh, I'm in L.A., I'm in Silver Lake, everyone thinks a certain way. And I remember actually having an experience where, like, I started to befriend, there was this couple in particular that I started to, like, really befriend. And then kind of found out uh, behind the scenes that they actually, you know, had sort of actively homophobic views and, and opposed, you know, civil rights. And And I remember it was so it just took me so aback. You know what I mean? I was so uh, disillusioned because I was like, I was really coming from this assumption that we were all on the same page. And it really kind of opened my eyes to something. And so it's just, it's interesting. I haven't thought about that experience in a while, but it, I'm being reminded of it now where it's like, yeah, like I think, you know, just speaking for myself, there are these assumptions that I make about all of us being on the same page. And I think in some ways that's part of the problem. And that oh, probably yeah. is in a lot of ways, part of my own white privilege. It's like, I'm making assumptions that, you know, kind of, yeah, everyone in a certain group of a society at a certain location kind of understands certain fundamental things. And I think what the show is showing us, and like I'm saying, what I've learned in my own life experience that I guess I forgot is it ain't that way. And we can't ever, we can't make those assumptions, you know? And I think, and I, and I think in some ways that is the point of that conversation, right? For pe- for women like mm-hmm. Crystal and Garcelle, they are never making that assumption. And um, again, speaking for myself, it almost does feel like, oh, this is a facet of my privilege that I would even make those assumptions in the first place, you know? So it's interesting. Yeah, like unless you come out of the woodwork, <laughs> like if you pull a Lewin, unless you're like wearing blackface, like I'm going to assume that as like this rich white woman on like a national tv show that takes place in like beverly hills that you're like you know what's up but then yeah yeah and it's like why would i assume that you know what i mean Mm -hmm. why would i assume that of dorit why would i assume that of kathy it's it's you know it's interesting it's more comfortable probably to just i don't know yeah to just be like oh well I think also because like they look a certain way or their lifestyle is a certain way. You're just like, I guess it's like, I don't, I don't have any questions or I just take that at like face value and then take that to mean, I don't know. It just like, is a whole other also like Dorit's like wearing all these, like her whole style evolution into being like very logo forward um, is also, I think, an interesting facet of it because I think typically that's been like a very like 
in the black community, like a very popular like way of style or dressing and stuff. So then to see her kind of doing that, especially like more this season. And it's like almost like she has taken like kind of urban or hip hop, like styling notes. And then to see that she's doing that, but then also saying this like completely outdated view of like race relations and racism. I'm just like, what the fuck? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think, you know, there's something that I'm taking in very deeply here, which is just like, yeah, you could never, you can never assume, you know, either way, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, We did get the Harry Hamlin's acrylic nails as like a palette cleanser, which I did appreciate and had to rewind like multiple times just for Kyle's and Sutton's like scream faces. See, I, by this point, I was so entrenched in the kind of like peeling back the performance of it all that I, when this played out, I was like, they're doing a comedic bit. You were like, you were mask off at that point. Like you couldn't, you couldn't go back. I just, I truly give myself, I have to smoke, I have to vape before I watch the episode on the night that it airs. Because that's the only way I can be in like a headspace and just like a the metaphysical space to let the show just like take me on a journey. And then I'm like, I'm emotional at moments. I'm laughing and just like fully enjoying it. And then on my second watch, when I like take notes, I'm more, I don't know, I guess I've like softened myself up with that first <laughs> watch. And so, but it really like this season is just giving me I guess I'm realizing everything that I seek in entertainment is like I seek cringe, I seek tragedy, I seek comedy. Um, I want it all. Yeah, I mean and and honestly a lot of it was Rinna. It was just kind of watching Rinna cackle and and double over and grab her stomach. I just was watching this just thinking this is all you all are perf- you're performing for the camera right now. You're giving us RHOBH comedy. I mm-hmm. guess I I guess I just went into this episode. I swallowed the red pill. You yeah, just... you fully red pilled this episode. I'm still <laughs> I'm still like on the fence. Like, you're still plugged in. Like you've got that plug in your back and you're in the I mucus. Am. It's a little loose, but it still <laughs> is plugged in. Like Harry Hamlin's hand with acrylic nails. I just don't. For me, that's like peak lols still. So I got a. I have some I have some medication I need to take. <laughs> I need to decide. I don't know if I want to be red pilled on R.H.O.B.H. I mean, you're on your own journey. Yeah, and I respect everyone that. has their own relationship. But even Harry Hamlin, from the red pill perspective, I'm just like, you know, this guy is married to Lisa Rinna. Like, what? What's his part in all of this? Like, who? Who is this man? You know, it's like, who is he in all of this? I just with his acrylic nails and his his sort of quiet, soft spoken demeanor. What's lurking in his heart and soul and mind? I mean. I think he might just be on his own journey and they have a very like understood kind of arrangement of how the marriage is going to function or how like the partnership functions. There doesn't seem to be a lot of like sex in their relationship. I mean, she certainly talks like there is. Yeah, but I think it's also the kind of thing like how Lisa Vanderpump talked like 
like I think it's that kind of it's like the housewife comedy of like sex with your husband like how like they all approach it in different ways it's like never the truth I feel like Lisa and Harry is its own rabbit hole that I'm not even prepared to go into at this point (laughs) fair enough um the next day the LA Times article has dropped and my favorite part about everyone's reaction to the article (laughs) dropping was how overwhelmed all the women were with how long the article was. And I was, was like, is it that long? And I reread it just to refresh. And it's not that long. If ever you had a question about the extent to which the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills read, I think it was answered <laughs> in this episode. Because truly they were all overwhelmed by the length of this article. Just couldn't believe how long it is. And then like they're like... Sutton like how long have you been up and she's like well I've been up since 7 30 and they're like so you probably had the time it would take to like read this long article and she's like yeah I read it and I just love everyone's relationship to reading was exposed in this episode and I felt like you could kind of feel the place where it's like they tried to skim it or to get to the important Mm -hmm. parts but then they realize holy shit There's information in every paragraph. I can't just skim it. I have to read the whole thing. And then like they're overwhelmed (laughs) at that prospect. I actually have to sit still for like 10 minutes and read a whole article through. Mm -hmm. Too much. Too much to ask. I mean, you know, we're all on our journeys. So rereading the article, because I had read it when it came out, but I just like wanted to remember like the timeline I guess of things imploding for Girardi's law firm and what's really interesting is like the same time that Erica came on the show was when Tom got sued by like the first round it was like I think the first lawsuit from victims who were claiming that he'd misappropriated funds was the same year that Erica came on the show so like these women who had gotten cancer as a result of hormonal therapy all filed a suit against him. And then he borrowed $12 million, settled the lawsuit. And that kind of was like, I guess the first time that this article was like tracking his tendency to borrow a lot of money to pay back other creditors and, people that he owed money money to like his own clients and then that was like a constant cycle that he was engaging in and like running his business which he had a hundred percent equity in no other lawyer could like become a partner in the law firm like he ran the whole thing and it was his company and so like when you own a company like that like you make all the rules and like decide how the money's being paid out and like how you're running your company. Mm-hmm. Well, what I find so interesting about that is um, just kind of like from a psycho spiritual perspective of like looking at Erica and her life, you know, I've, I've been aware for a long time. I've, I've kind of, I've always been a, 
I've always been a little concerned about Erica's mental wellness because I feel like what I've seen in her over the, and I feel like that sounds like such a mean thing to say. I I actually really mean it sincerely. Um, I feel like what I've seen over the years is this woman who kind of had made a decision, right. To be this subservient wife in this marriage. And then through the show started and kind of betrayed something in herself in doing so, because I think, in her core, she wants to be kind of an empowered self-generator, right? And then she gets on the show and she starts to have this taste, or more than a taste, really, of like success and celebrity and all the stuff she always wanted for herself in her own right. And so now that fracture between like the part that she's playing with Tom and the part that she's playing over here is Erica Jane. It's like the gap is getting wider and wider. And then through it all, because she's so proud and stubborn, she has to pretend like she's okay with everything. And so I've always just felt there's this kind, there's these fractures, right? That kind of like the seams just get more and more frayed. And that's why I would have this experience of her of like, is she, is she okay? Like at times it almost felt to me like she was having a mental breakdown. And so what I think is interesting about all this, it's almost like the way that I've experienced her Especially in terms of like holding the question of why did this all sort of fall to the ground now after 20 some odd years? To me, it just felt so more than a, it felt like more than a coincidence that literally, right, as Erica is achieving what you could maybe call like the pinnacle of her creative dreams of being on Broadway, like a star on Broadway and experiencing that height of success. That's then the very moment where everything gets ripped out from under her because like these fractures are too difficult to bear. So the reason why I say all this, it's just interesting to hear that it was right when she was going on the show that that first set of lawsuits were filed. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like the universe was really kind of working in such like to what to me feels like such a deeply meaningful way of like the higher you go, like the deeper these cracks are going to are going to kind of run to kind of really expose like how you're you're doing all this at a cost to yourself and the more that you try to hold on to control the bigger the fall is going to be and it does track that like her saying how tom was so mean to her about her success behind the scenes and how like he would berate her and like begrudge her, her success. Like if he's experiencing for the first time ever, all his like lending all his like borrowing and the way he's running his business and he's been so successful, but has like done it in like a very, um, shifty or shady way and that's all catching up to him at this moment but then his wife is starting to have her first experience of success it makes sense that he would be resentful of her and want to like cut her down or like there are just that feelings of resentment would exist if that's even true what she's saying like (laughs) the way he was reacting to her it's so weird that we're like one like we try and make meaning out of things that may or may not even be true i feel like she's the only housewife that like does that to us i don't know 
that's what I'm saying. It's Erica's performance art piece, and we're all just living in it. <laughs> um, but, but you know, Erica I think... walk so like Jen Shaw could run because like she's another person that it's like the or is that just like a more low rent like reproduction of like well we've kind of seen. Well, I don't think Jen Shaw's ordeal is going to have the same flavor of, well, certainly, like, Erica's story is much larger than life than Jen. I mean, Jen Shaw's is pretty dramatic, but just the whole tabloid sensationalism and the the burn victims and the dead people and the orphans and the widows. And it's just, it's so much more. um, And then again, just, I mean, with Jen Shaw, it's just like, is she lying? With mm-hmm. Erica, it's this whole, it's all these wrinkles of performance, you know, and being an actress and being on Chicago and being on stage and the parts that she's playing and that she literally was a woman who was already saying, yeah, I was, I was playing a role by day and then I created this other role to play by night. Like from the beginning, even before this happened, she was inhabiting this world of, like we said, what's true, what's not. Whereas Jen Shaw was just kind of, you know, renting her ski chalet in, in Salt Lake mm-hmm. City. But I mean, I think to that, like what I, what comes to me as you talk about kind of Tom's own deterioration, it's like, and maybe this is stating the obvious, but I just still feel the need to state it. It's what's fascinating to me about them is the fact that it's like Batman and Catwoman. It's the fact that Tom and Erica were in this marriage living under one roof and they both had these split identities where like she was Mrs. Girardi by day and Erica Jane at night. He was... I mean, again, it was like, it was a part he was playing. I'm not just a lawyer. I'm the law. I'm the good lawyer. I'm the lawyer who sticks up for the underdog. I, you know, I write wrongs. And then behind Mm -hmm. the scenes, he was this criminal. And it's just crazy to me that these two people, these two control freaks are living under one roof, literally presenting one face by day and having their alter ego by night. That's fascinating to me. And then to even wonder, like, if we do question what did she know, what did she not know, it is kind of like Bruce Wayne and Selena Kyle. Like, do they even, to what extent do they even know about each other's double lives? It is truly fascinating to me. Yeah, I think, I don't think that Erica knew what his, like, his business style like of I don't think she knew but it is really weird I mean I would think that if he's gonna give her money to like her company that that would he would do that out of like a personal bank account and like why would he do that out of a business out of his law firm's bank account like I do think that if Erica really is spending $40,000 a month on clothes and saying that that's an expense of EJ Global and maintaining like Erica Jane, I can absolutely see him sinking $20 million into funding her pop star career. Like the people that she's working with, the like wardrobe, just the production costs and overhead of like booting up that like career it could easily reach 20 million dollars like that doesn't seem like that crazy of an amount of money for like the knowing like the scale of what they were trying to do with erica jane but it is weird that he would pay her out of his law firm because like how is that a business expense for his law firm yeah i mean (laughs) 
and classifying it as a loan like that's and that's like a pretty i think regular accounting thing to do when you're like just so that your taxes are lower or whatever like you can say even if you don't expect to ever be paid back that's like i think an accounting trick so i don't know anyway sorry to cut you off go ahead no, I mean, I'm not, look, I'm not an EJ apologist by any means. I will say I still could, like, if you are someone who's kind of generally used to deferring financial stuff to someone else who knows more than you, and let's even just say maybe semi-consciously, unconsciously, you don't want to even know what's yeah. going on, I could see just kind of just sort of feeling like everything that has to do with the financials is in this haze. He understands it. He figures it out. He's doing things, you know, for his own tax. But like, you know what I mean? I could just sort of see not ask questions. If daddy's giving you the money, like, yeah. And if it's gone a certain way for all these years and he's a man of age, I would imagine you'd feel like clearly he knows what he's doing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like why, question it if it's working you know i mean i you know i'm sure it's clear i tend to fall into the camp i don't think she knew yeah maybe she sensed there were you know like shell games being played with the money again in the way that i think a lot of these women you know their husbands are doing similar things do i think she knew about widows orphans the level of embezzlement ponzi schemes i just i don't i I don't know why she would know i don't know how she would know I don't think he's telling her. And yeah, I, I think if you're kind of she'd try and like sn- snoop it out for herself. Like, <laughs> right. Especially, you know, you have to remember too, like she has such, she has her own investment. I mean, pun intended in the wealth, you know, for her, it's a source of pride. It's a source of power. It's a source of like, I think a sense of control and autonomy in her life. She's very invested in it. So, you know, to your point, it's like, why would she? you know, question things. Why would she want to know more? Why would she peel back the layers, you know? Mm -hmm. And the source of identity is like, as far as being like, yeah, I was a cocktail waitress and then I met my rich husband and I love him and he writes all the checks for my life and I love it and I love being rich and this is who I am. Like, why would you want that fantasy to crumble or like even try and pull the string that could possibly crumble that fantasy and I think like I think she probably knew or had some sort of intel that like heavy duty legal problems were about like the axe was gonna come down and so she divorced him in order to kind of try and save herself but I think that is too little too late like I believe if things keep going the way they are, I do believe that she's going to be put on the hook for any sort of money owed. Like if he truly has no money and he has dementia and she's the person that can like, they can potentially find assets or means to repay creditors. Like she could very well be held accountable for that. And, like, legally, like, she should be, but it also is, like, incredibly unfair in the grander scheme of things. If he really does have, like, this is all also if he really does have dementia, which I'm just going to roll with that right now, that he's, like, 
totally he's completely broke and like you know he's at the end of his like this is like the end of the line for him in terms of like life even and like quality of life like there's just not I'm gonna go with that but it's like what the like can you imagine like if that if you're like put yourself in Eric and Jane's shoes and mean like wait a second like I didn't know it was this bad and now suddenly like I'm like they're gonna come looking for this money that like doesn't exist anymore that like I've spent yeah and then try and recoup the cost and like I'm the one that gets to be put on like the cross for it it's just like damn Especially when you think about the fact that, you know, I do feel like the reason why she did in a lot of ways sort of what I would call kind of betray herself, you know, in sort of entering a marriage like this was from a point of pride. You know what I mean? Like that, you know, kind of like it means something that I have this wealth. It means something that I have this lifestyle. Like I was saying before, I think she was deeply invested in sort of the false sense of power that it gave her. So for it then to sort of all be taken away, not only just be taken away, but yeah. as you're saying, she has to pay the price for it. That that sort of old point of pride that already lived in her, that was already kind of saying, fuck you. You know, I'm going to kind of, I'm going to do this, you know, how I need to do it to get to where I need to get. You know, this is why I kind of under, I mean, I'm not, I'm not condoning it. I'm not endorsing it. Like I've said before, I think she's her own worst enemy at this point, but I can understand how in her, there is this voice saying, yeah, like you're saying, fuck you. It's not fair. That's why I'm going to keep posting on Instagram. You know, it's like, no way. Like, I no, I'm not going to be humble. No. And I think, you know, a lot of people ask about like, you know, why isn't she expressing, you know, more empathy for the victim? I mean, I don't think she can really talk about it legally anyway, but I also just have this feeling for her. It's like, I can't let this in. Like, I cannot let in what's going on because if I do, I have to feel this powerlessness and this humiliation that I don't want to feel. This is all blowing up in my face. This was supposed to be my big plan and it's blowing up in my face and I cannot tolerate it or feel it. And I I can't be forced to reconcile it's like an even greater and bigger question of like reconciling like what you're willing to like give up in order or like who you're willing to allow to be hurt in order to get your dreams and like everything you want like not imagine it's like not knowing it's like winning the lottery but then finding out that like the lottery came from like the blood of like 300 babies or something like that. That's a terrible analogy, but it's like, like realizing the depth of depravity that this went to and like the global EJ global, indeed the global reach of like victims who you unknowingly like profited off of is such a dark and twisted thing to have to face and like confront and like the karmic like the karmic twist of the knife is so real in her struggle it's just it's shocking and then the fact that not it's like you have to reconcile your own relationship to wealth and money and power etc but then also you're gonna be the one that's now 
held accountable in a court of public opinion and in a court like a legal court it's like so many prongs it's it's so it's completely fucked up but it also is like maybe one of the most incredible challenges for like true growth that could possibly befall this person i mean that's kind of how i've been feeling i just feel like the universe is screaming at her to kind of surrender it's just like what's it going to take for you to surrender like just give it up erica you know what i mean like feel it you feel the powerlessness feel the humiliation stop trying to like run a game stop you know making grabs for power it's like whatever this you know for me you know whatever that early early experience of humiliation of powerlessness was that sort of initiated this power struggle in you like feel it already you know be humble let the other guy win like that's what i'm hearing from the universe let the other guy win let people misjudge you because it's like on the other side of that you can actually reconnect to who you are but right now you're bracing against all this, trying to kind of still come out on top with whatever few crumbs you can, but There's you literally keep no denying <laughs> these parts of yourself. You know, you're denying your vulnerability. You're denying, I mean, it's just like, yeah, it, 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 it truly is kind of like a classic, I don't know if I want to call it a Greek tragedy, but it's like, you can have one or the other. It's like, you can have your pride. You can have maybe some semblance of like the residual of wealth, or you can like return to yourself. And, like, Mm -hmm. which is it going to be? Yeah, because it's, like, even now her name is synonymous with, like, stealing from orphans and cancer victims and burn victims. And it's, like, you are the only person that can, like, change that. Like, that's the, that's the, is truly the only thing she has left. Like, there is, there's no just coming out of this on the other side and being able to like regain control of her name and identity that yeah that's the only way and for her to i mean not that we have to go too far afield but for her to repost that uh you know drawing of her with the widows and the orphans earrings did you see that no what was that was um, like on instagram i don't even think yeah, I follow there's her this... on instagram there's this great Instagram account. I think it's called Drunk Drawn, but he he does these like oh yeah mm-hmm. caricatures, and he did a caricature of uh, Erica, and I think like one earring was saying widows, one earring was saying orphans. This was after the trailer for Beverly Hills came out, and it had kind of Dorit saying widows and orphans, and Erica reposted it on her feed, you know. And again, like for me, I just sort of felt under it, just this like huge fuck you and middle finger that she's sort of giving to every you know basically that she's experiencing people as like pointing fingers at her and saying you're this and you're that and just that prideful place in her just being like oh yeah well here this is fuck you fuck off you don't know me and that's why i just say she's her own worst enemy it's like she just doesn't know she doesn't know how to get out of her own way and she doesn't know how to surrender her pride and then she just does these things that make her look so much worse yeah that is shocking to me that the common sense like the common sense meter could be so skewed much like Dorit and Kathy's at dinner <laughs> like it's just like wait like what happened to you guys 
it really just feels like I'll show you. You know, like that's what Erica said. Like I'll show you. Like you think mm-hmm. you think I'm down. I'll show you. You're not getting me down. I'm tough. It's, oh God, it's tough. It's tough stuff. <laughs> yeah, I think I think she's spiraling too, and even the posting of Tom. Yeah, like posting the cheating stuff. It's just so. It just doesn't. It's all meaningless at the end of the day because you're, she's just fucked. Like it's there's just no other way around that. And you do get, I mean, who knows where she is now, but like you do get this sense in the timeline. It's like, yeah, that there's just this part of her. And I kind of get this feeling probably this is what's been true with Tom too. It's like, there's this part of her that just refuses to really take in, you know, to what you're saying, how fucked she really is. Like that she's sort of, I feel like Jen Shaw is doing the same thing. It's like bracing against the reality (laughs) of what's actually happening. And it's like, no, it's time. Like it's time to put this down. It's time. Let's rip the bandaid off. It's time to surrender to what's happening. Like your little old, your old tricks and your old coping mechanisms, like they ain't going to work anymore. Guess what? From a spiritual perspective, that's actually the good news, but it only Mm -hmm. becomes good news (laughs) if you can kind of surrender to it. And you trying to like go back to all these old coping mechanisms, you are just making it work. It's like I said, the universe is screaming at her, like, give it up. Like the jig's up, Erica. Like, Mm -hmm. give it up. Yeah. She has become the pretty mess. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) We're in the performance art piece. We are. It's all, this is just truly the simulation has reached like, it's like at its peak functioning level right now. The whole universe is pretty mess. Mm-hmm. It is the simulation. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just here for like Sutton, like her. I'm here for anyone getting on a high horse about anything always. But also just Sutton being like, I left La Quinta thinking something is amiss and like having (laughs) forcing everyone to gather at Dorit's house is also a power move I can wholeheartedly respect (laughs) and just leading the charge of I don't trust this woman is iconic because I think also Sutton it's like that kind of old southern thing where you just don't want to be associated with like any like someone who's done something so like morally reprehensible like I think even if you're I feel like maybe I'm talking out of pocket and that's just like some people's thing but it strikes me as like particularly southern where you like shun you like shun someone or need to like take space from them after a scandal did you feel like was she kind of saying I feel deep down that she had a part in this and therefore I'm taking a moral stance. Or was she saying, this is really messy. It's going into really salacious territory. I don't know that I just want to be associated with all of this in a public way. I think it's a mixture of both of those things. Because she did say, like, she alluded to... It was like, I'm not saying she knew, but I don't think that ignorance is any excuse for what's going on. And then addressing the ladies, she was like, and I think all of us are being used in a way that I'm not necessarily comfortable with because now they are part of it because they film a show with this person 
who is like essentially using this show as a means to like protest their innocence or create some sort of narrative. So it is like for a woman like set in an interesting position to find herself in, which is like, this is not what I signed up for. And like bringing that to the other women's perspectives. Yeah. Cause I guess like from a Hollywood perspective, it's like, there's no such thing as bad press. Like, it's just like, Oh, you're part now this show's like skyrocketing. It's like reaching a new echelon of like iconery or whatever. And then, like I'm sure like Kyle is like psyched that the show is probably <laughs> like it's probably getting big bigger ratings than ever before. Like underneath her shock and horror about what Erica's having to go through, I think that Hollywood Kyle is like, hell yeah. <laughs> I love Hollywood Kyle. I wish mm-hmm. Hollywood Kyle could come out of hiding and just own it Me baby too. i would yeah i want a monologue from hollywood kyle <laughs> yeah she was do- giving us some hollywood kyle with her like charlie chaplin ice machine <laughs> physical comedy at its finest but that's like the the forward facing hollywood kyle i want the shadow hollywood kyle i want the snakes yeah. behind the mask you know Mm-hmm. The one who pushed Kim down the stairs for, you know, the role in Halloween <laughs> Kills, you know. Um, yeah. And like Lisa obviously is like, I think this is a great, it's like, oh, well, that's great. Like at the end of the day, Killer Be Killed Rinna is like, <laughs> bring it on, baby. Own it, baby. Now, did we touch on the irony of um, <laughs> Sutton? Um, sort of calling Erica to task for her heightened emotional reaction. No, I, we did not. But right, that's a is, great point. Was that towards the end? I think it was maybe in an interview where she was sort of talking about like, look, we just need to be able to hold it together. And I was like, really, Sutton? <laughs> if there's anyone after, who might. It was after Erica left and all the ladies were reeling. And then it was like Sutton gave them all like a very strange pep talk of like, she's like, we all just need to like pick ourselves up and hold ourselves together. And I don't know what she was like for. I was like, what for what dinner tonight? Like what? Like you're on vacation. (laughs) Like I love just like needing to be strong so that you can get through cocktail hour and (laughs) successfully have dinner <laughs> and show off your cardia your uh mm-hmm. antique cardiac bracelet we just have to be strong i mean she's in her position at the end is interesting because on the one hand for me it's like there is a voice here that i appreciate you know it is the voice kind of coming in saying look let's not all just sort of collude with erica you know um and and yeah and feeling that place in her that I think rightfully could say, you know, this is sort of going into a place that uh, feels a little dark and uncomfortable for me. Um, in the next breath, there's part of me, too, that's like, you know, Sutton, you did sign up for The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. You know, maybe it's never reached this level before, but, you know, we've had Taylor Armstrong. We've had Russell Armstrong. We've had Kim Richards. Like, this isn't exactly what I would call highbrow you know it's not totally above Mm -hmm. tabloid headlines um so it's almost to me like yeah i'm sort of torn between two things about like there's something that feels good about having 
what in some ways kind of feels like a voice of conscience or at least, hey, let's question things in a way that feels somewhat healthy or at least grounding or acknowledges possible realities. But then also kind of like, are you once again using this as a vehicle for your own dramatic reaction? Yeah. the big question of like reality TV like what is real what is real I actually I mean should I share something a little personal sure please share away um no I mean it's just interesting because like when I was thinking about this I, I, I always forget this but I forgot so I so I once worked on the real world like the TV show that was one of my first jobs out here. And so then I became friends with someone who was on it, like really close friends. And then they ended up shooting this like, um, like five years later, they shot this two week real world reunited where they brought them back and they put them in the penthouse and they shot for two weeks. And I actually went and I visited my friend, you know, while she was filming. And, um, so, you know, I just say all this because I went and like, I should, you know, I got mic'd up, I shot you know, meals, I was hanging out with the cast and all that stuff. And I remember shit went down, you know, like they got, of course they got drunk, shit went down. And then there was stuff that like never made it to air. That was like, you know, I mean, I remember one of the cast members like was drunk and was like saying explicitly racist stuff. And it was like all on camera. And I, I guess I just say all this because I actually, I remember like getting to my hotel room that night and feeling like, I don't know that I want to be associated with this. Like this feel, you know, especially it's like when you're there and like, you know, obviously there are cameras there. Like you're aware, like this is going out into the universe. And it really was this feeling for me of like, I, I'm not this, I'm not a reality star, you know? And am I going to be on TV with these, this stuff going on that feels a little dirty, to me. So I guess, you know, from that place, I could kind of understand, you know, from Sutton's point of view, especially to what you're saying of being kind of like, you know, a proper Southern lady, that this might all feel like a level of tawdriness that she doesn't want to be a part of. Again, the difference being she did sign up for the show. So there is a big fundamental difference right there. But it is it's an interesting question. Yeah, I think this season is just like, it's just been a great season of exposing all the cast members' relationships to a variety of things in a way that I don't, I don't think that I've seen before, but maybe I also have a short-term memory, I don't know. I have like a goldfish memory after the past two years, so... It is interesting that there seems to be this theme with Real Housewives of Beverly Hills when you think about last season, for example, and all just the sort of strange drama that organized around Denise, uh, who was also a really bad liar, um, and just, but also Denise as a movie star, and then the way that it did become this sort of sensationalized exploration of her personal life and possible secrets in her personal life. It's just interesting how Beverly Hills kind of keeps navigating these worlds that, in a lot of ways, do feel like it's about. The entertainment industry it's about star persona it's about fact versus fiction you know what's going on behind closed doors it's just interesting mm-hmm. 
Well, thank you so much for coming on this podcast and just digging into it with me. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I hope I hope there was some illumination. I feel like ultimately we're all just still lost in the in the simulation. We're still a little bit lost, but I definitely feel more grounded, I think, after <laughs> speaking with you about it. Like I feel like yeah, I just have a better lay of the land. Good. And well, I just I can't I truly look forward every week to seeing this saga unfold we have so much more ahead of us so much more and i also think this cast is really good this season also one thing that i meant to touch on which i wanted to see if you're picking up on this too is i'm sensing like a real tension that's still ongoing between kyle and dorit that i think could potentially blow up towards the end of the season yeah, there was a moment. Oh, it was the it was dishes with the moment. Dishes, yeah, yeah. I was like, "What's going on here?" And then right after that dishes moment, which first of all, did you catch that the look on Dorit's face, like sort of like when they were wrapping up the dishes moment, the camera kind of pans from her, like washing her dish, and she truly, to Kyle's point, had this look on her face that was it, it was the most despairing. Look, as if she truly were in, like, the trenches of war. Like, she truly could not compute what was happening in this moment. Um, I did appreciate that moment from her. But, yeah, it felt like there was this weird simmering tension. And then, right afterward, I forget what it was about. I think maybe it was the acrylic nails or something. They're, like, collapsing in each other's arms in laughter. And I just was taking that in, saying to myself, this doesn't, this feels very strange to me. Yeah, I think it's I think it's hurtling towards an explosion of some sort. <laughs> I don't know if it'll happen this season or when, but I just think when you are having moments of tension like that and then going into like just a lol hug fest on the couch, like it's uh mm-mm. you got to address like the whatever's going on. It's definitely, it's not about the housekeeper. I also love Dorit, like such a bitchy move of being like, you know, honey, like next time, if you want us to all pitch in, we can all pitch in and then have someone here to clean up like after (laughs) as though Kyle like needs everyone to like get on Venmo and like say, okay, we all need to pay like $25 for like, uh, like help, like give me a break. Like that's also just like a Dorit being like rude. And did she have like a cutting, she had like a cutting comment towards the end of that whole exchange too, where she was like, I don't know, is there an extra room at the hotel? Like kind of putting down the experience of being at the house. I was like, I mean, it did. It really, it, it had kind of Kathy Hilton levels of darkness underneath the quote unquote, like playful banter. It just, it did not feel playful to me in any way. No, that is not playful. Like, I I compute Kathy as being playful about it. But, like, it's like, Dorit, I'm like, you are, A, you're mad about this. And you're put out by whatever's happening. And you're not. And you were also incredibly out of touch. Like, you just had COVID. You had to shut down <laughs> production because you got COVID. And you're like you're shooting the show you're doing it like on a moment's notice because we're in a pandemic 
And like, also you're just at this person's vacation house and this is how that things are done at their like Palm Springs house where Kyle's like, I have someone clean before and after. And then it's mostly just like a chill, relaxed experience. Like, why can't you just like get with the program? And I think it's like, she's really put out by the fact that there's what not like you, there's no servants around to like pick up the trash in the kitchen coming off the heels of like her dinner. (laughs) monologue I was just like whoa like Dorit she's living in a whole new simulation well yeah what just kind of came to me as I was listening to you talk I was just sort of thinking about how you were sort of talking about her break from reality and it's almost like I get curious you know is she in this place where she really does want to pretend like everything that's happening in the world isn't really happening and that you know we're not Maybe. really in this pandemic and some part of her just wants to return to normal and act like things are normal and maybe in that place where she's not processing or taking in what's going on or is sort of racing to be in the finish line she's just kind of having a break from what's actually happening yeah that could definitely be a possibility there's just so many things so many elements at play <laughs> well god bless all of them they're god giving us a season yeah they give and they give. And we receive and we receive. <laughs> Jamie, can you tell everyone where they can find you? Yes. Uh, follow me on Instagram, Jamie Stein, J-A-M-I-E-S-T-E-I-N. I have all sorts of Bravo-related content. I do have my own podcast, Deep Dive with Jamie Stein. So we do deep dives into various bravo liberties and housewives and actually my erica jane deep dive just came out on tuesday so if you want more erica jane oh my god we go so deep into it um and then you know if you're interested in my work go to my website hollywoodreadings.com and you can read about it there and you can write me an email if you want to know more i love it well until next time stay safe and (laughs) (laughs) You too. Love and light. Love and light. And I, you know, I just, I'm wishing you safe travels in the simulation. Thank you. I'm, I wish you safe travels in your red pilled universe. <laughs> I'm here when you're ready, Lara. Just send up, you know, <laughs> whatever the signal needs to be. You can like pet Tony on the head three times and I'll materialize in your apartment and I'll have the red pill. I love that. <laughs> Noted. All right. Bye. All right. Bye. Bye.